0: Hey there, and welcome back to the Will and Rob Show. It is great to be with you guys. My name is Robert. I am the Director of Communications for Ministry to State, and with me here, as always, my very good friend Will Stockdale, Ministry Associate with Ministry to State. For this week, we decided we were going to take a break, a little relief from the outrage fuel that is just pouring through our Twitter feeds, uh, through the news, uh, in anywhere you might see that kind of stuff. Um, There's so much to be kind of talking about in the news, but I thought uh, this week uh, it might be good for us to kind of take a little break uh, to kind of give an update about what we're doing uh, in our ministries uh, in DC uh, with Ministry to State, which would naturally lead to a conversation about the Gospels. Um, The Gospels are always relevant, it's always good to talk about uh, the life and ministry of Jesus Christ as recorded in the scriptures. Um, But I think just to kind of kick it off, Will. You are leading a a new Bible study uh, through the book of John, uh, and I thought it'd be kind of cool for you to just give us an update on what you're doing and kind of the purpose of that that study.
1: Yeah, so um, this semester started working on a Bible study with a group of uh, staffers and friends who are up here in DC. And last semester we went through a like a biblical theology of the temple as it unfolds from Genesis to Revelation. And so I wanted to, instead of doing like a biblical theological theme throughout scripture, like a topical, wanted to switch to a book study and and chose to look at the gospel of John um, for uh, several reasons. One, it, it's, it's unique from the synoptics and it has a different style and approach. And two, I mean, there are a hundred reasons that could be listed, but another one is the the, the way in which Jesus is depicted um, and his heart as it comes out is, uh, is really beautiful, uh, is, is really wonderful and gives us an insight into who he was that isn't as clear and evident as it is in the synoptic Gospels.
0: Yeah, my, uh, my understanding about John, or at least my sort of uh, what I've always thought about the book of John has that it's been always been a little bit more philosophical, a little more um, kind of let's sit around and sort of discuss Jesus, kind of in almost um, obviously getting a narrative, but also in, in kind of a um, uh, philosophical way, uh, talking about love and what that means as a concept and as an as idea. Um, there's a sort of uh, uh, kind of a let's sit around and just kind of talk. Kind of style about Jesus, if that makes sense. Um, whereas the sort of the other three are kind of look more as sort of history or narrative. Um, is that sort of the presuppositions that you find people are coming into with the study, or what are people's reactions, or, or what do they what do they think about John as they come into a study like this?
1: Well, when I was when I was growing up, John was the book that everyone recommended someone start with if they're just becoming a Christian. If you meet someone who has never read. Uh, anything uh any book of the Bible for they should start with john the, people recommend different books now for example they they recommend don't ever ask a Muslim to first read mark um, because of the opening sentence that would be right. so Just, offensive to a Muslim and probably wouldn't get them any further down the road so I think mark John has been a book that has uh um, been encouraged for a lot of people to read uh, people generally uh really really love. John Jesus is very present and near. Um like you said there's this talking uh kind of dialogic sense of John that's different from the other gospels and you know John uh the beloved disciple is old at this point. He's been through a life of ministry. He has been a pastor in Ephesus for decades and he writes the last gospel. And it really comes across that he is this old grandfatherly, loving pastor guy that just really wants to gently and um, kindly talk about Jesus and what he has meant to him. That's awesome.
0: Yeah, I, that's kind of what I was trying to get at. That, that 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 definitely sort of hits it on the on the head for me. Um, so I guess this kind of might be open up to a like kind of a broader conversation about the gospels in general, um, and maybe even in a sense, sort of scriptural literacy. I mean, when you are working with folks in DC, I mean, DC is a, is a population, a very highly educated, um, extremely smart, accomplished young professionals. Um, uh, what is sort of the default, uh, uh, quote unquote gospel that people go to when they want to read the gospels. So like, for example, one thing I find is that um, in a lot of my history, I found that most everyone's default gospel is Matthew. Almost everyone immediately turns to Matthew. Um, and I wonder if that has something to do with being in a pretty uh, rationalist sort of um, intellectual culture where people want to read sort of the good teacher, as opposed to maybe some of the other depictions of Jesus that you get in other gospels. Is that something that you find uh, to be the case?
1: Well, I I agree with you completely in the, uh, the highly intelligent um, group. I'm grateful for the people that are in the Bible study I'm leading. Um, I asked them at the beginning, what their favorite books of the Bible uh, gospels were. And they said, I think it was Matthew, Luke and John were mentioned. Mark never got a nod. Uh, but it was, it was pretty evenly spread out, um, amongst the, amongst the, those three that I mentioned, what about, have you come across that? Is that something that you've seen where people are, um, more interested in Matthew?
0: Well, yeah, I, I find most people like Matthew because, you know, the sermon on the Mount is sort of the, the, uh, quintessential
1: teaching of Jesus. Yeah. And Winston Churchill called that basically the end of Western ethics. Yeah,
0: exactly. It, it, and, and there's some way there's a, you know. Obviously, if you spend a lot of time in the Sermon on the Mount, you realize how ju- um, how it really is a message of of the need for grace. And um, because you you can't accomplish on your own any of the the lessons and the instructions of Jesus. Um, however, I think on surface level, a lot of people in a more Western rationalist, pragmatic culture like the Sermon on the Mount, because it's sort of like, OK, give me the give me the straight facts. What do I got to do? OK, bing, bing, boom. OK, that's that's good to know. Um, and sort of spending a lot of time trying to decipher parables, or especially wrestle with miracles. Um, Not that Matthew doesn't have those things. Um, But I think people like, especially in in the West, like the idea of Jesus, the good teacher, maybe more so than, you know, Jesus, the exorcist, or Jesus, the miracle healer, um, Jesus, the one who calms the storm and and commands nature. Uh, And I think that that's probably why a lot of people default to to things like Matthew. And I mean, this is not just true of the gospels, but I think probably across scripture, right? Like I don't find myself, even myself, I, I got to loop myself in here. Like I don't really tend to find myself drawn to the old Testament very often. You know, if I do, it's usually the Psalms or the Proverbs. Um, I haven't really had a time where I've sat down and been like, let me like read through the book, the, the book of Isaiah real quick. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it requires, more focus, um, nuance study. Um, and then even in the new Testament, right? Like every cage stage Calvinist's favorite book is Romans, right? Because they think it's the, it's the theological doctrine of the church. Um, and, uh, we probably spend more time in that than we do something like James or Hebrews. That makes, if that makes sense. Um, I don't know, is that, that was always my experience growing up. And I, I feel like that was sort of a common thing for most guys my oh, age. Oh
1: man. Yeah, Romans was the book. I mean, why would you need anything else if if you had Romans? And it's funny I noticed actually on RTS's their website I think they have an open Bible. And I was curious what book they had open, you know, like for the graphic. And it was the Psalms, which I think is like this very deliberate attempt to try to remove themselves a little bit from this like overemphasis on Romans because Romans actually is not a fullest, the fullest exposition of Christianity. It is the fullest exposition of the gospel of what is the gospel and how the gospel works. Um, you'd mentioned, you know, Genesis and the old Testament. One of the things that I've loved about studying John um, is it is what Richard Bauckham has called a cosmic meta history, And so at the beginning of John, you get this very deliberate um, reference to Genesis 1:1 in the beginning God created, in the beginning was the Word. And so you have this this grand introduction of who Jesus is in the prologue. And then he introduces these various themes where he talks about light and darkness um, understanding and misunderstanding uh, acceptance of children and rejection. And then more themes continue to follow throughout the book. But one of the most incredible things about John is you have this massive cosmic picture of the word. So the logos, which a lot of debate is around and is it this Greek concept of reason and to hearken it back to Genesis 1 1, it is actually connected more to the Hebrew word, Dabar, that is God's creative power. So we're introduced to Jesus, who is also the creative power of the world, the recreative power of the world. And so as we get Jesus talked about in these massive terms, he then is found in these incredibly intimate situations that. Were it not for Jesus being who he is and the perfect embodiment of, well, the, the God made flesh, it would be so strange. Like, how do we get these incredible lofty concepts of truth and, and lies and deception and understanding and light and dark. And then you get this person who engages with his mother in a very believable way with an, an elite educated rabbi with the rejected woman of ill repute. And, and these, but these two things go together very seamlessly and very believably. That's another element of John that I think is, is absolutely fabulous. And it's something that we get the sense that John loves as well. He absolutely adores this part of Jesus. And he says things like, um, and many more miracles were performed by Jesus. And where I were to write them all, there were not enough books in the world to contain them. What an old person thing to say. Like that is, that is like such an old man. (laughs) Picture a granddad saying that and little kids imaginations just going crazy. Like, Oh my gosh, can you imagine what that would look like to have all of that? And then there are like really personal details about John where, uh, John had interactions with Peter throughout his life, of course, and when he talks about running to see Jesus uh, in the tomb on Easter morning, John, who's an old man at this point, points out that he could outrun Peter. So there's like almost this kind of I'm sure there's something about him being loving Jesus more, but there's also a very personal way where uh, he's kind of, you know poking in the ribs a little bit.
0: Yeah, it's like it's a subtweet. And oh. you know, so, so Peter can read that and we go, Oh gosh, John. Cause
1: John was a young man at that time. He was <laughs> Peter Peter was this older fisherman guy who probably, you know, maybe a little bow legged, didn't really walk as fast. And and so John's this young spry buck who took off running and ran past. That's Peter. awesome. He loves that. little detail. Well,
0: so, see, that's such a good um, uh, point because I think one thing that I've, noticed in my life as i've sort of gone through uh, theological education and spent more time reading scriptures especially in more of an academic setting um but in a in a academic setting that's geared me towards ministry right is that uh it's so easy to read scripture in a vacuum and outside of the, the context and to read into the the context of uh scripture um and you know kind of going back to my, the the point about Romans, you know, Romans, it's really easy to kind of read Romans as, as you would a a theological doctrine, a theological treatise. Um, uh, Reading the gospels is much more like reading a narrative and uh, sort of finding characters, identifying with characters, um, trying to uh, empathize with what they're thinking and feeling. Um, I think that makes for a much more interesting read in in many respects. Um, but it can be hard because I think so much time has been spent, especially in the last few decades of sort of the historical Jesus, um, approach to scripture of trying to figure out like who, what's actually true. What's not almost approaching scripture as more, uh, in more apologetic settings. And so, uh, I think I can obsess often about reading the the gospels and be like, well, why does, why does Matthew include this story and Mark doesn't, why are the stories different um, in these cases? And I think that tends to sort of trip up a lot of people because our, our minds are so focused on that. I mean, what are, what are some of the things that you tell folks if, if maybe they're wrestling with that um, about almost like a, a hermeneutical lens for reading the gospels?
1: Well, um, That's a good question. One is something that Michael Kruger, who's a professor at Reformed Theological Seminary, has pointed out that the question isn't why is John so different from the other synoptics? The question is why are the synoptics so similar? Why are Matthew, Mark, and Luke actually so similar? Yes, there are differences. There are things that are included or not included, but actually they bear a lot of similarity. Jesus sounds very similar in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and he sounds very different in John. And again, Richard Bauckham, something he points out actually is that Jesus, if we want to get a a sense of what Jesus sounds like, he actually probably sounded more like what we get in Sermon on the Mount and John, instead of uh, the other, other, other stories that we get in Luke, because they're small or like Matthew, Mark and Luke, because they're shorter. they are oftentimes almost like quips um, instead of this, um, this fully orbed conversation and dialogue. I would also stress that the the early church, uh, as we are now, was aware of these differences between these gospels. This wasn't something that like these people two thousand years ago were like, oh yeah, they're all the same. And then some wisecrack came along, you know, in the in the in the mid eighteenth century, and said, actually, they're very different. <laughs> No, we we know that. We're aware that they're different. Um, we're aware that they have different flavors and that they take a different tinting to Jesus. Uh, it is still the same historical Jesus, but they are driving home a different point. And John actually does a really good job in a, in a micro of illustrating this in that Jesus was all things to all people, the only person who could do that. He was the perfect uh bridegroom basically for the woman at the well pointing her to the father um he was the perfect bridegroom at the wedding at cana where he was not embarrassed but he actually could provide enough wine he was the wise teacher to the rabbi right um he helped the woman in adultery all all these things and what the gospels do is they they see that and they take one approach, like Matthew is divided into five parts. So it's kind of a restatement of the Pentateuch. Jesus is someone who's greater than Moses, right? Um, you get a lot of exorcisms in Mark. So there's a, there's a particular focus that they're trying to get at because Jesus is so big. He is, and this is one thing that I love from reading N.T. Wright, particularly about Jesus, is that through Jesus, God is always up to more than I thought he was. He will always and forever be doing more than I previously understood, and that is what Jesus is doing. He is bigger and more um, dynamic than than one gospel writer could um, could put forth. And also, it was it's a story, like you mentioned, it's a narrative. It wouldn't make a lot of sense; um, uh, it would be very disjointed otherwise.
0: For sure, yeah, I love what you said about Jesus is bigger than what we expect or what we um, sometimes conceptualize. I I am doing a lot of study right now through the book of Mark and, um, uh, excited to, to hopefully start a a new study here pretty soon with a group of, of, um, folks on Capitol Hill. And, uh, uh, one thing that I've, I've one reason why I've been gravitated or I've gravitated to Mark, uh, recently, um, is because I find myself really susceptible to that, uh, uh, bias towards Matthew uh, for the sort of the rationalist, pragmatic reasons. Um, and it's so cliche now, but to sort of have an encounter with Jesus um, as sort of trying to, but really more so trying to get myself a more fresh um, experience in reading the gospels uh, and trying to really grasp uh, what exactly did Jesus come to do and how did he, how did he articulate his ministry? I, I, I'm so quick to want to co opt Jesus for my own purposes or, um, uh, limit Jesus's ministry to sort of what I want him to do. Uh, and I think Mark does a good job of, of correcting that because, um, uh, in, in many ways, the, the Jesus that we get, especially at the beginning of Mark is so in, it, it, it's just different, uh, than, than the Jesus in Matthew, right? Like the sermon on the Mount is basically covered in two verses in Mark. I mean, it's, it's almost an afterthought. Mark is is really uh one thing that my professor points out that's that's so good it's like he does this thing where he'll like bring up a point about a story like John the Baptist for example like uh, or Jesus's baptism or the temptations in the wilderness things that are like sort of drawn out and very popular uh uh in our sort of culture like uh, people know the story of Jesus in the in the wilderness they know of Jesus's baptism and we we like to learn more about those little moments and Mark is just kind of like yeah Jesus was baptized Yes. And then immediately he was taken out in the wilderness and tempted. And then he sort of focuses on longer on stories like exorcisms and miracle healings, things that we kind of are like, you know, this is something that I can do. I can say, if somebody were to say, uh, you know, what did Jesus do in his ministry? I can say, well, he, I could, I could give you like point by point, the stories of like uh, Jesus calming the storm. Like I can kind of articulate that story for you point by point. But I, I realized before I was really studying Mark, I would just sort of say, oh, yeah, and he cast out demons. But I couldn't like really narrate a story of, of the different times that Jesus cast out demons. Um, and I think that that's really important to to spend some time in Mark because he he's really focused on that, especially at the beginning trying to prove Jesus' authority as the Son of Man. So, so. As,
1: as Mark does contain so many of these stories of exorcisms, these powerful uh, miracles, what is the uh, – what's like the real need you see of in a contemporary American context, the gospel like Mark that is, is full of things that most of the time we don't like to think about because they're, you know, those they're superstitious, you know? Yeah. I think
0: one thing is that his emphasis on the son of man, inaugurating the kingdom of God um, and understanding that inauguration as sort of, as part of, Uh, especially as it relates to exorcism as spiritual warfare. Um, There's a lot in, especially Paul's epistles about, you know, being transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of heaven. Uh, There's a lot of this dominion language. And I think knowing that, and then going back and reading Mark, you kind of have a better understanding of what Jesus is doing and sort of the significance. He's not just sort of casting out demons to prove to people that, he is you know the son of god or that he has authority over the world that's clear that's absolutely happening but you also have to understand that in context of redemptive history of what is what is taking place the ushering in of a new kingdom um and what that means and uh uh i think that that's a really important point for um sort of contemporary america because um we like to think of Jesus's ministry particularly our redemption and salvation in very metaphysical theoretical terms right sort of stuff that happens kind of ethereal in the sort of ethereal space um instead of understanding redemptive history as something that is is happening right uh that uh the, the the time before Jesus's ministry it was different than the time afterwards right like things have changed uh, it has an effect and then th- that we are called to live our lives in light of that reality, um, I think is, is a much different framework than, than kind of even something that somebody who was born and raised in, in the PCA church uh, something that I sort of kind of um, caught from the general evangelical culture. Um, and so I think it's always good to have sort of that corrective. Um, but I think also you could generally say it, it's good to recognize Jesus as um, the miracle healer and the miracle worker. Um, and not just, although he absolutely was not just the good teacher. I mean, Jesus says, whoever is ashamed of me, um, you know, I will be ashamed of them essentially. Uh, and we have a kind of a tendency to, I wouldn't say ashamed. Cause I think that's maybe too strong, but we kind of are a little embarrassed, right? Like you said, like i don't really want to talk about the demons the exorcisms i mean that's kind of embarrassing like who really believes that kind of stuff and then within that is sort of my next point which would be um we need to understand that the the enemy exists and is real um and that uh, uh although the, the the battle has been won uh we and we are we live in the already but not yet um that does not mean that satan uh has uh sort of accepted his defeat right uh the that at the end times, his, his defeat will be final. But in, in the meantime, uh, uh, the, the spiritual warfare continue, continues on. And so if we're not really sober minded about that fact, um, I think we, we can uh, deceive ourselves in, in some important ways.
1: If you were to have an elevator pitch or, you know, like a short, a succinct explanation to someone of why they should remark and what, what you hope they see in Jesus through reading that gospel, what would you tell them? I
0: would tell them by reading Mark, you get the experience that the crowd has at the end of the story of the paralytic in Mark two, we have never seen anything like this. I think you will read Mark and you will come away and you will, and you will realize Jesus is, is grander and more uh, uh, powerful, mighty, merciful, loving, kind um, than you could ever imagine.
1: Yeah. I, I love hearing that. Um Description. There's never been anyone like this. And that is something that I think can be uh, forgotten as we think of Jesus as, as both a teacher and a, a miracle worker, um, is that him as a person, as a man, was absolutely captivating. People were so drawn to him and attracted to him and were eager to be near him, would travel miles just to catch a glimpse, to hear just a little bit of what he had to say. And yes, Jesus is wise and all powerful, but he's also the, well, the cleverest smartest man who ever lived as well. Um, I, I, I appreciate what you're saying a lot with, we've never seen anything like this. It um, reminds you of the story in John four about the woman at the well. And she ran to the village and said, come see a man who told me all I ever did. What isn't, and I think in a sense, isn't that what we all really want? Don't we all want to engage with someone who says, come see this person who told me everything I ever did and still wants me and you've got to meet him. And something else about that story that is, so telling about Jesus's demeanor and his disposition towards sinners was that he didn't tell her like some really great, you can do whatever you want, go pursue your dreams. You'll tackle the world. Your marriage is going to be great. He actually told her things that we would consider fairly embarrassing. If people knew about us, he told her things that were points of sin and points of, of way that she was living in death. And, but he did it in such a way in such a loving way. After, in fact, she had basically tried to kick sand in his face that he would leave her alone. She said, you're not like us anyways. You know, she's said, like, hey, I heard that your people say we don't even worship in the right place. I mean, this was a hurt woman who did not want Jesus to continue talking to her. And yet he did and pursued her and loved her and, and coaxed her and wooed her basically as, as a good bridegroom would. And she leaves ecstatic because he's trustworthy because he's not going to leave. He's not going to hurt us. Um, and that's the same Jesus that is there today. Think about this. I think of the, um, the book written by Ortland, um, gentle and lowly that has been a book that I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of copies I'm sure it's sold by now, but it is a fabulous devotional read that I think would be worth everyone's time. It's, um, it's not a devotional, but it could be read as one, but he, he builds his, his whole book off of, uh, Jesus saying, I am gentle and lowly of heart, which is the kind of person that we want to trust our secrets with our hopes and fears too. Um, And that's the Jesus that we get in the gospels, I think.
0: For sure. I mean, we live in such a cynical age and I think, you know, we, it's so easy to have the mindset of the woman at the well, right. To um, treat every sort of um, claim of truth, uh, every claim of, of redemption, in very cynical, in a very cynical way. Um, I think for a lot of folks today, um, we've seen uh, authorities, uh, across all spectrums, economic, business, political, even religious, um, fail, uh, it's, it's followers or it's, it's, um, uh, those who've put trust into it. And uh, I think we've we've created ourselves, in, or we've put ourselves into a, a very cynical um, mindset and atmosphere. And the great thing about the Jesus, Jesus in the Gospels uh, is that He interacts with a lot of cynical people. And there, at the by the end of their interaction, there is this you know by the grace of God and by the whole, by the work of the Holy Spirit, this realization that this man is the claim to truth. He he won't let us down. Um, he is who he says he is, uh, and he's going to do what he says he d- he will do. And that is just incredibly refreshing. Um, it's it's, it's uh, powerful and moving in all times, but I think today especially, uh, it's, it's kind of the reaction that I come across uh, or come away with when I read the Gospels.
1: Well, that's kind of the way that theology works, whether it's systematic theology in that there are the same Christian truths that have always been there. But when certain issues arise, whether they be... Um, complexities whether they be um heresies or um conflicts we we have a theology and we we search the scriptures and seek to say no here's the biblical truth in a systematic way on what is going on in the same way with jesus again he is so he, he's a, a infinitely cited well not infinitely cited but he is a a manifold gem um and we will see different sides of him will come out based on, based on what we're we're going through at the time. Again, that doesn't change who Jesus is as the Son of God, but it does mean that He is big enough to handle whatever we're going through, and has been, and will continue to be. That's
0: wonderful. Yeah, I mean, I could sit here and talk about Jesus all day, um, and my heart is just is is warming as we do it. Um, but we should probably, uh, uh, call it quits now. Uh, this was, this was fun. Like I said, at the beginning, like it, it's really good and healthy, I think to pause from the day to day, uh, the things that can cause outrage and kind of set our teeth on edge, um, and just return back to Jesus in the scriptures, um, to, uh, stop always focusing on the here and the now And the immediate what's just immediately in front of our face, especially as it relates to our own problems, and our own concerns, um, and to really empty ourselves and to um, uh, find ourselves in uh, in Christ, um, to find our to find our entire identity in him um, uh, and spend time in the word. So this has been just such a refreshing and and wonderful conversation. Uh, Will, I'm I'm praying for you and your group as you guys study through John. Um, I hope it's a very fruitful uh, study. Um, I hope people walk away with a much deeper uh, and uh, wonderful relationship with our risen Lord. Um, and with that, I think we'll, we'll call it a wraps. Um Thank you for listening to the Will and Rob show. As always, uh, you can follow us on Twitter. I'm at RD Hassler. Will is at Stockdale Will, though. He is taking a little bit of a Twitter break right now. Um, so if you DM, he DM him, he may not respond as soon. Uh, uh, make sure to check out ministrystate.org. Um, will's got some uh, great devotionals on there that you can check out uh, as yeah so do you though i don't think so do i exclusive
1: corner on that Hey, know i you know i'm just you i'm just, giving us a little little uh, air time. you just put one out that's really really great um, oh, I really like it. thanks man um and
0: with that we'll see you guys again next week